The man who wrote this letter of 2 Corinthians, a man by the name of the, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, we call him, he actually wrote a number of letters in the New Testament to a, a number of different churches. And those churches were facing quite different circumstances. So, for example, some of the churches were really struggling. One example would be the Thessalonian church. Apostle Paul went to the, the town of Thessalonica, and within a couple of weeks there was a riot, and he got thrown out of the town. And then the church suffered all kinds of persecution. They were in big trouble. Paul was worried if the, if the church would even survive. And so he wrote to them in the context of great persecution, great difficulty with, with the, the culture around them, helping them just to encourage them to keep going. But for some of the churches that Paul wrote to, there was a much easier relationship with the prevailing culture. These churches, the people in these churches were accepted, even, even respected in their communities. And that's how it seems it was with the Corinthian church. Commentator David Garland puts it this way. He says, I want to find clear evidence in 1 Thessalonians that the church is experiencing conflict with outsiders and feeling the sting of their alienation from society and society's hostility towards them. No reference to conflict in the relations of Christians to outsiders, however, appears in one of the Corinthians. On the contrary, Paul contrasts his own situation of affliction and dishonor with their relative tranquility. The Corinthians appear to be getting on well in their community. The Corinthians, it seems, are doing okay. Accepted by their family and friends and peers, not ostracized for being a Christian. That's great. No one's complaining about life being nice. No one wants persecution. But it did lead to some other temptations for the Corinthians. And so that's what the Apostle Paul writes about. Garland puts it this way. Some members of the Corinthian church, therefore, appear too well integrated in pagan society and have no religious scruples about their associations with unbelievers. For some, it was more important to maintain friendly relations with pagan acquaintances and family members and to keep their good opinion than to show absolute loyalty to the one God. See the issue? When things are going well for people like the Corinthians, when they're popular and accepted, the temptation is to just fit in, to assimilate, to, to live in such a way that you're indistinguishable from the people around you and they leave you alone and let you keep on going with your comfortable life. That's why, in his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul had to deal with all kinds of all kinds of worldliness in the Corinthian church, all kinds of ways that they were assimilated with their culture. Now, for example, in the church, they were all arguing about who was the most popular, who had the coolest teacher. Uh, there were issues about Christians suing each other over money, ripping each other off and suing each other. There were issues of having sex with prostitutes, with homosexuality, all kinds of sexual issues. Some of, the Christians, some of the Christians were joining in with in the idol temples, the local idol temples, and eating meat sacrificed to idols. The, the, the rich Christians in the church were mistreating the poor Christians. The Christians in church were showing off their spiritual gifts rather than serving and loving each other. There are all these ways that they were being conformed, assimilated to the society around them. The Corinthian church, they didn't so much have issues with suffering and being persecuted, they had issues with worldliness. And the thing is this, not all of them liked to be challenged about it. 
liked to be challenged about how they were following the ways of the world and not of God. And so the Apostle Paul wasn't on the top of their popularity list. They weren't keen on this annoying man who kept calling them to turn away from sin and the ways of the world, to live their whole lives for Jesus, which meant being different to society around them. They weren't so excited about the Apostle Paul who kept calling them to stand up and stand out for Jesus when that made them less popular, less well accepted. Paul's message was a tough message for people who have it good. And meanwhile, in Corinth, there were some other teachers, teachers who had a much easier message, a much more palatable message, teachers who were saying that the Apostle Paul, with all his suffering, could actually show that he wasn't teaching the truth about God at all. So in these last few weeks, we've seen how the Apostle Paul has talked about why he is so bold. Why, even though it means suffering, he keeps on just talking about Jesus and calling down people to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul starts off 2 Corinthians chapter 6 by again talking about his own ministry and his own sufferings. And he says that the reason he's doing it is to show love to the Corinthians. To, to get the truth to the Corinthians so that they can have genuine trust in Jesus and be saved. He starts off by saying that he does whatever it takes to help people trust Jesus. He, he works hard not to create, create any obstacles that will stop him from having genuine faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, have a look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Okay, he wants to do whatever he can to make it possible for people to sincerely trust Jesus. Now he goes on to talk about what that's meant for him. It's meant trouble. It's meant hardship. It hasn't meant comfort and acceptance. Verse 4. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. It's been tough for Paul to commend the gospel faithfully, but through it all, through thick and thin, he's kept on trying to conduct himself with integrity and with love for people by teaching them the truth no matter what. And he's trying to back up what he's taught by living righteously. Verse 6. So all these difficult things that happen to him, but, verse 6, impurity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Paul has strived to teach people the truth about Jesus that's been costly and he goes on to say he's had very mixed responses. Some people have received the message, many people have rejected. Some people love him, many people hate him. He's had good times and bad times, but through it all, God has sustained him. Verse 8. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, 
sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Always work hard to teach the truth with integrity, love, sincerity, whatever the circumstances. And so now he turns to the Corinthians and he says, that's what we did for you. We told you the truth, and we loved you. We loved you like a parent. And so what you need to do is this. You need to trust us. You need to open your hearts to what we say. Listen to the things we're saying, even the tough parts, even the uncomfortable parts, even the parts that might make you angry. Understand that we love you. We're telling you the truth, and so listen and do what we say. Verse 11. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. It's a fair exchange of speakers to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Who wants them to trust him, to listen to what he's got to say. And now here again is his message. It's really a, it's really a repeat of what he said in his first letter to the Corinthians. Here's his message. They need to be different. They need to be holy. They need to put Jesus first and not fitting in with society first. Paul uses the image of a yoke. It doesn't mean egg yoke. He means a, a yoke that you put over an ox. So you put, it's like a wooden thing you put over an ox and you put it over the ox next to, next, next to the one ox. So you've got two oxen together and it means they work together. Everything they do, they do kind of in sync. They're on the same team. They're working together. He says, you, you can't be like that with the unbelievers. You can't be the same as the world around you. Don't just go along with doing things the way everybody else does them. Because the way the unbelieving world wants you to live is not the way God wants you to live. God's ways are different to the ways of the world. Verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. But what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? But what fellowship can light have with darkness? What, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial, the devil? Or, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? God's way and the world's way are different, and so God's people need to be different. Paul goes on to use quotes from the Old Testament to show how God's people are different. They're his holy temple. He walks among them. They're his children. He's made them his children. And therefore, Christians need to be separate sometimes, not just going along with what the world does. So in verse 16, but we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, quotes, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, another quote, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And one more quote, I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You want to be God's children, you want to be God's temple, you want to be God's people, and that means sometimes you have to be different. You have to separate yourself. Paul summarizes, we have great promises from God. Jesus purifies us from sin. He makes us God's holy people. He makes us God's sons and daughters. So you've got to turn away. From sinful stuff. You've got to turn away from the, un, the ungodly things that unbelievers do 
We need to fear God and strive for holiness. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence which we have fear of God. And then Paul finishes the section where he started. This is what we call an inclusio, or a, it's, it's, it's a frame, so the beginning and the end is the same, so that it gives you um, a sense of the importance of what's in the middle. At the beginning, you remember he said, we tried to do the right thing, you need to trust us, open your hearts to us. Well, that's the way he finishes it as well. He says, we tried to do the right thing, you need to open your hearts. Listen, listen to what we're saying, even when it's uncomfortable or unpopular. Verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've exploited no one. Okay. You see what's here then in this section of 2 Corinthians? So you've got your frame, the beginning and the end, Paul saying he's talking about how you can trust him. He's told the truth with integrity, with sincerity, with sincerity, even when that means, means suffering. He, he's, he's loved the Corinthians. Now they need to open their hearts to him, trust him, listen to him, obey what he says. And then what's the thing that he's saying to them in the middle? Jesus has saved them, he's purified them from sin, he's made them children of God, God's temple. So now they need to live holy lives. It means don't be yoked with unbelievers. Don't be on the same team. Don't be the same in the way that you live. You know, back to one Corinthians, that means a different attitude to money and stuff, not joining in the lies of the dog-eat-dog competition to get ahead, different stands in terms of sex, not joining in with the idolatry around you, having new allegiances. Seeking to live your life, persuading your non-Christian friends and family to trust Jesus and be saved. Jesus has purified us to be his people. We need to live as his people. And that means being different. Right. Well, let's think about what this passage means for us. Friends, let me start by saying this. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you at Chester Presbyterian Church have opened your hearts to God's Word. And the Corinthians didn't like being called to repentance. They didn't like having their worldliness challenged. When other teachers came with a more popular, more palatable message, they went, okay, we're out of here, Paul. We're going to listen to these people instead. That's not been my experience here at Chatswood. The vast majority of people here at Chatswood, my experience has been soft-hearted. You want to hear God's Word even when it hurts. You want to hear God's word even when it rebukes you or challenges you. Matter of fact, just in the last few weeks, a number of people have left the church where the minister came out deciding that he's pro same sex marriage and all this other sort of stuff. They left the church and they came here because they understood that here the Bible's just going to be taught faithfully and clearly. Thank you for wanting to hear God's word. I feel comfortable in just teaching what the Bible says, even if it's. It's uh, rebuking or challenging. Good on you. But uh, there are some hard things to say from this passage. So let me stop, uh, stop complimenting you instead of challenging you again. Uh, overall, we have it pretty easy in our society. You know, it's possibly heading south, but uh, overall, no one's saying we're not allowed to be Christians. 
know, it's stopping us from meeting as a church or in Bible studies. There's no riots happening outside. There's nobody burning our churches down like they are in India. There's no law saying you're not allowed to tell people about Jesus like there is in Malaysia and many other places where people here come from. Very few of us have suffered any significant loss for being Christians. We've been able to study whatever we want. We've been able to do whatever jobs we want. It hasn't stopped us from being able to raise children in the way we think is right. We can even have schools where we insist on teachers being Christians. Most of us in our church are well respected by the people around us, the people we study with, we work with, our clients, our patients, the other mums at school, we're, we're, we're well liked. I don't think there's anything getting around it. We have to admit this. We're more like the Corinthians than the Thessalonians. That's true. We have to admit that. More like the Corinthians than the Thessalonians. We get on fine in our community, and that's great. It is a blessing from God. We should thank God for our situation, and we should continue to pray day by day, like the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Keep praying for the government, keep praying for the authorities, and there'll be peace, that we'll be able to live lives of godliness and holiness. It's good that we fit in well. Good that we're well respected. But friends, it does present us with the temptation to be yoked with unbelievers. It does present us with the temptation to be so used to our comfort and so used to our popularity that we end up going along with the people around us even when we know that what we're doing is not. Temptation is to be assimilated, to be indistinguishable. The other day I was talking to a friend of mine, he's a young bloke, uh, he has a job in sales. He works in a team with a lot of other young people, people in their 20s and 30s, and with one exception, there are no other Christians on his team. Average, ordinary Australian pagans. Now my friend is a serious Christian. He wants to commend Jesus to his colleagues. So he works hard at his job, does very well, he's very successful. And he's made a really big effort to connect with his colleagues. Spends lots of time with them, goes to the gym with them, goes out socially with them. Everyone at work knows that he's a Christian. And yet even still, he's well accepted. In fact, he's well loved. Lovely bloke, there's no reason why they shouldn't love him. And the other day, my friend was invited to a party with some people from work. Sitting at the party, enjoying spending time with his friends, and then someone came to him and said, Guess what? We've hired a stripper. She'll be here in a few minutes, should be great fun. What do you think? What should he have done? What would you do? It's not all that easy a decision to make, if you think about it. Is the stripper really all that bad? We'll make it under our clothes. It's just a bit of flesh. You only need to go to the beach or turn on the TV. You'll see plenty of naked people in this world. Just go down to the shops and see naked people everywhere. <laughs> Lingerie shops and that kind of thing. <laughs> and if he had said something, he kind of stood up and gone, oh, oh, oh. Would tease him. And it would just feed into their negative view of Christians. Oh, here's another of these repressed God botherers, can't come to term with his sexuality, another, another prude, he's probably abusing children in the background or something like that. My, my friend wants to fit in with his colleagues, he wants to commend Jesus, he doesn't want to commend moralism. 
then on the other hand, if he stays, well, he thinks it's the wrong thing to do. He feels uncomfortable with it. He shouldn't be looking at a stripper. He shouldn't be looking at the models in their undies in the shops either. It's lustful. It's, it's, it's exploiting her. It's, it's treating her as a sex object and not as a person made in the image of God who needs to be saved by Jesus. He thinks it will be a sinful thing to do. None of that. What would he be saying to his colleagues? That Christians are fine with strippers? Christians are happy with sex industry? That Christians are no different to the world in terms of sex? And if, if his colleagues know that he's uncomfortable with it, and yet he stays with them, what, 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 what message is that giving? That um, being accepted by them is more important to him than obeying God? That, that their opinion is more important than Jesus? Not an easy decision. Temptation, of course, is just be yoked with the unbelievers. Go along with it. Compromise. So what should he do? What would you do? Now, many people in our church find themselves in a similar situation at uh, family funerals and so on. When you're called on to pray to the ancestors and offer the joysticks and all that kind of stuff, you might feel uncomfortable. It feels idolatrous. What should I do? Should I... Do I tell my family that Christians don't respect their elders or something like that? What's, what's the message that I'm giving you? I know many people have been in that very trouble, troubling experience. What do you do? I'll tell you what my friend did. He and the other Christians stood up in front of everyone. They said, sorry guys, we're not going to stay for a stripper. Jesus would not want us to do that. We're going to go out for a walk, call us when it's over, come back to the party. Now, they were teased pretty mercilessly about it. Everyone had a great old laugh at their expense. Even the next week at work, people around the water cooler were all having a big laugh about these prudish Christians. But then my friend told me this. During that next week, three people came up to him, one by one, in private, where no one else could see or hear them. Three people came to him, and each of them said a similar thing. They said, you know what, I actually felt pretty uncomfortable about there being a stripper there at that party too, but I was too scared to speak up or say anything or do anything. I really respect the way that Jesus makes such a difference to your life. Thank you for having integrity. They didn't use these words, but they had two Corinthians in their minds, they might have said something like this. Thank you for not being so yoked with us that you are no different. We can see from your life that Jesus is your Lord because of the way you said no. Because of the way you separated yourself <coughs> from us. Because of the way you were different. Friends, are you, are you so yoked with unbelievers that you find yourself compromising? Joining in with the dirty jokes or the gossip? Staying silent. People are talking about stuff that you know is wrong. Telling lies. Never talking about Jesus. Doing other stuff that you, you know. You just, it's not really what you should do, but you don't want to look different. And you're so yoked with unbelievers that you're indistinguishable. Do you have the same ambitions, the same goals, the same values? Are you so yoked with unbelievers that the message you're giving to, the, to this world is that Jesus is not Lord at all? 
So to another man the other day, just out here on the lawn, and he'd just recently come back to church for the first time in many, many years. And he told me, told me a story that I thought was really quite powerful. He said, he said, I grew up in a Christian family. My mum and my dad believed in Jesus. But as I grew up, they constantly compromised. There was a family event on Sunday. We didn't go to church. Family was more important. It was soccer season. The games were on Sunday. We didn't go to church. Sport was more important. I don't want to give too much away, but if there was Chinese school, Korean school, Arabic school, take your pick, okay, on Sunday, we didn't go to church, our culture was more important. He said, my parents rarely talked to us about Jesus, never saw them go to a Bible study, they didn't push me to go to church, they didn't hassle me to go to youth group, they were too busy pushing me to study and play sport. He said, don't get me wrong, my parents are lovely, but I love them very much, they're good parents, but from their example, it became perfectly clear to me that Jesus is nothing more than a hobby. And so, drifted away. When I got married, I didn't marry a Christian. Left home, never went back to church. I had kids of my own, and I never brought them to church. But then he said this. Just recently, since they joined our church, my parents have become much more serious about Jesus. And then the other day, my dad rang me. He said, son, I am so sorry. I set such a bad example for you. I was so caught up in the world, so desperate that you'd be successful and prosperous. I was so caught up in that that I gave you the impression that Jesus is not most important. Now I see the effect it's had on you. And I see the effect it's having on my grandchildren. And I fear for you. He said, my dad basically begged me to get back to church and to bring my children to church. And so he said, here I am. I can see now that it's really important to my dad, and so I figure I'd better find out more about it. When we are yoked <coughs> to this unbelieving world, when we are indistinguishable, it'll keep us out of trouble. We'll be able to get on with our comfortable North Shore lives. We'll be able to keep the respect of our peers. But friends, make no mistake, it will come at a cost. There'll be times we have to compromise. And we will be giving a clear message to the people that were us. We'll be shown that our comfort and popularity are more important than Jesus. And friends, they will get the message. They'll get the message clearly. It's not what we want. It's not what we want, is it? Trust me. We believe Jesus is most important. We believe it. And I trust that's what we do want to convey. So, friends, it means we've got to break off that yoke. Be separate. Be holy. Sometimes say no. Be different to the world around us. Precious God, morning, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he's died on the cross and risen again from the dead to purify us from sin and to make us your people eager to be pleasing to you. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that Jesus is most important. Pray that you help us to put him first, to live for him first, even when that means saying no or being different or being separate to those around us. Help us to be brave 
and help us to commend Christ by not being yoked with the unbelieving world. We pray in Jesus' name.